0: Welcome to Grace Point Church, uh, and good to be back after being around the world and making it back yesterday evening at 7.30, so if I fall asleep in my own message, then uh, please forgive me. But uh, it's good to be back, and I love this time of year, this time of summertime when movies come out, new movies, It's it's just an exciting time, and so a few years back we started something, kind of a tradition that we didn't do last year, but pretty consistently for the past several years, we kind of look at... At movies, I look at movies and I look for the message behind the message or the plot or even deeper than that and sometimes it's a stretch, but other times it's just extremely clear message in that movie and we're such a visual movie, cinematography, television, 3,000 television stations at home on our TVs that we can't find anything to watch, you know, that kind of experience that we have in our home, but uh, the, the whole idea that we watch a lot of television and we watch a lot of movies, it's just our culture. And so when you look at that and you try to look at some of the messages behind it, I, I want to bring some of those out over the next few weeks. And so just uh, bear with us in this series. You never know what's happening next. You never know what movie's coming up next. And so just be ready for, for uh, the movies, and we'll try to give you a, a little head start on those movies so that you can watch them in advance and you can look for the message yourself. But uh, I want to ask you a question as we get started today. Uh, a message There's uh, uh, a little blank in the, in the top part of your bulletin. I just want you to just think about it, all right? Now, any time during this message, take time, draw away from what I'm saying, and I want you to go back to this. You can do it in the beginning. You can do it in the middle. You can do it in the end. You can do it when you get home. But here's the question. If you could write your life in a sentence, what would that sentence say about your life? In one sentence, not a paragraph, not a, not a dissertation, just one sentence, how would you write and describe your life now? Not the life you want, not the life you dreamt, dreamed of, not, not any of that, but the life that you're living now, if it ended today, how would that sentence end? How would that sentence be stated on your life? And think about that for a few moments, and then think about it, how would I end that sentence? Would I end it with a simple period? You know, I've lived and I've died. Whatever. You know, fill in the blank. You know, it's just a simple period. That's all it is. Or would it be one of those when you look at your life, you would have to come to the end of it and put a great big exclamation mark right in there. This is is my life. Wow! I've lived it to the fullest. I have no doubts. I I have no wondering. Nobody ever has to question where I was going and what I was about. Put a big exclamation at the end of the sentence of your life. Or, or maybe your life would have a question mark. I really don't know where I was going. I really don't know what it was about. You know, it's just kind of, maybe it's a statement that just lingers out there that you're going to make about your life. But if your life ended today, what would you say of your life? And how would you punctuate your life? Because for some people, I'm afraid, there may be no punctuation. They would be just an incomplete thought. And what a, what a horrible life to live that at the end of your life, you can't even punctuate your life. There is no way to express it. It is an incomplete thought. Maybe it would be an ellipsis. Maybe it would be that continuing thought in life that is just kind of going on and on. You know, to, to have this kind of life. I want my life to be one of an ex, probably incomplete or poor poor. Poor structure, poor, poor grammar, or whatever, but uh, syntax, uh, it, to have an ellipsis where my life is going on, but at the same time, an exclamation mark. I want my life to make an impact. I want people to look at my life and say, wow, I wish Mike was here, or wow, what a life well lived. I want there to be that wow factor. In my life Now, this is just me, maybe you, but you want to be the calm waters out there. I, I don't know how you want to end your life, but if you were to end it, or if it were to end today, how would your sentence end? And I think you have to think about when you end a life, that legacy that kind of goes on. And how do I have one of those, those legacies that kind of goes on, that, that goes on well beyond on, on my life? Well, I think one of those things, you can invent something out there. There's lots of things that need to be invented. There's some things that don't need to be invented. But you can invent something, the light bulb. You can, you can I- invent the Gutenberg Press in the 1400s. Or you could have been Augustus Jackson in 1832 and invented ice cream. You know, you could invent something, and that would leave a mark, okay, on, on, on society. But maybe you're not going to be the inventor. I don't see myself as an inventor. So if I'm going to have a, a legacy that goes on, Maybe, just maybe, if I'm not going to invent something, maybe I can invest in someone. And maybe that investing in someone is that way that I can pass it on. Who am I passing it on to? Who, who, who am I passing it on to? Can I point blank in some fashion in my life, look at my life and say, this is what I am, this is who I'm investing in, and this is what I'm investing. Can you draw that level of detail out there? Now, obviously, if your parents, that's that's the given ones. You don't even have to earn the respect. You're like God to them when they're babies. All right, you're a you're you're a dud when you're a, when they're teenagers. But at least you're a god at some point in in their minds' eyes. And and, and so as as you're bringing up the next generation, what are you? bringing them up into, maybe on your job, maybe in your community. Maybe, maybe Who are you investing in? Who are you pouring into? What are you, how are you making a difference and what are you passing on? Because if you look at Scripture, you see there's a clear line of connection, of passing it on. Intentional at times, very intentional at times. And other times, you just see it almost organically happening. You have Abraham with Isaac. You have, you have Isaac with Jacob, Jacob with Joseph, Moses with Joshua, Elijah with Elisha, Peter with John, Mark, Barnabas had Paul, and Paul had Timothy, and John had Polycarp. And everyone had someone that they were passing on their faith to. They were passing on their beliefs, their values, their, their, their processes. And it's just, it's, just a, it's just a good practice in life. Even you look at, uh, in the movies, Yoda had Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan had Luke. This is what Yoda said at one point. He said, always too there are, no more, no less, a master and an apprentice. Who are you passing on? What are you passing on? Socrates had Plato. Even Plato's entire doctrine of immortality was soul of, of the soul was based on the fact that Plato could not imagine, could not envision a world without his great teacher." I mean, talk about the power of a protege, the power of pouring into someone. You talk about the value of that. Who are you pouring into? How are you making a difference in someone's life? First Kings chapter two is where we'll be today. We're going to look at a man named David. He's not a new name to you. If you've read any part of the Bible, you probably run across David, David King, David, the greatest monarch, the greatest king ever to rule, Uh, some might say. Some would say Solomon. But I would say David was certainly the one who established a bar well above everyone else. Sixty-two chapters in the Old Testament are devoted to the life of David. Think about that. If you could have your life written, would it be written in one chapter, two chapters, ten chapters? How about sixty-two chapters? In the Old Testament, dedicated to this one man, giving the narrative of his life and his story. Fifty-nine references in the New Testament alone point back to David. David was a man who had a tremendous impact. And I think when you think about David and you think about the impact that he had, he had it, and it was not all good. You have those examples that we'll see in a a moment. It was not all successful. But what you do see in, in the intentionality of his passing on the legacy and the heritage and the faith and passing on some... He had a good life. Overall, yes, he made mistakes. Yes, he was an adulterer. And yes, he killed someone. And yes, he did some things that were wrong. But overall, when you look at his life, it's a life well lived. In fact, this is what the sentence of David's life, if you will, First Chronicles 26, verse 28, he says, He died in a, old, in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. That's the period, the final period, if you will, on the life of David. He died at a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. I I would have to say when you look at David's life, he lived a life with an exclamation mark. He lived a life, though, I think with an ellipsis as well, hidden in there. Because he intentionally, and I want to say intentionally again and again today, he intentionally made sure that his successor, his son, had a faith, had a commitment, had some direction for his life. That's what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in a moment. But he also, again, he did have Absalom who rebelled. He had Adonijah Adonijah who, who struggled with envy and entitlement. But Solomon was the one. Who would succeed the throne. And you find a warrior in David. You find a man who had tremendous self-control. You find a man who had a deep spiritual commitment to God. You read that in the Psalms. He was very, very uh, transparent in his relationship with God. And he wanted to make sure that if he had a legacy, and that legacy would be lived on and passed on, For future kings, and future generations, and the nation of Israel as a whole. He wanted to make sure Solomon got it. Now we're going to start this series today, and we're going to look at the first movie today. The movie's Courageous. Now how many of y'all have seen the movie Courageous? Raise your hand. All right, Most of y'all have. If you haven't, it won't take you long. You can probably get it on Netflix. But it won't take you long to see the message behind this movie. The message it is not hidden. It's not some kind of double play. It's not a metaphor at all. It is absolutely overt. There it is in your face. Put together by a church in, in Georgia. Just an amazing story. I won't have time to tell the, their story. But as they tell the story, they tell the story of these men who are going through life. Different ethnicities, different, different, uh, different ages, different stages of life. There's a lot of differences, a lot of diversity but there's also one thing that is very common. The one thing that was very common was they were struggling on how to live as men. How to be a man. How to lead a family. Some had already failed in that arena. But as, they, as, they, as they'd come back and they were trying to do it again, and they were trying to do it right, the story kind of unfolds. And, and, and I think a very, in a low-budget film, they did an amazingly good job. But as you have First Kings open, let's look at First Kings as the primary text today. The movie will just supplement in into, into the message. But First Kings chapter two, verse one says this: When David's time, when, when David's time to die drew near. All right, what a statement! And we don't all get that level of knowledge of our of our fading last days. Sometimes they're quickly. But when we have those last days, what are you going to do in those last days? Well, I'll promise you this. You're not going to be able to fix everything in the last days. The best thing to do is to live your entire life well. So at the end of those days, you can just put the punctuation mark down. Write your sentence today of the life that you want to be read in your obituary as your epitaph on your life. Write it today. Let it be punctuated at the end of your life. David comes at the near near at the end of his life and he commands Solomon his son. Now what he does in the next few verses is we're going to listen in and lean in on what did David say to Solomon? What was that conversation, that intimate time? I don't know where it was. Was it the palace? Was it a big formal command? Was it some edict that he read down to his son? Or was it a father and a son walking by a shore? walking by the Mediterranean. I don't know the setting. But it was one of those things that King David did not want to leave this world and his son have any doubt what he's supposed to do in his departure. Because you, can you imagine following in the footsteps of King David? I mean, he cast a shadow over decades, over centuries, to be able to follow in the shoes of a king like David? Solomon had big shoes to fill. And so what David, Daddy David wanted to do was to make sure son Solomon went well into the future. And so there's three statements that I want to draw out that that I believe he's making to to David that we can learn from today. Three instructions for courageous leaders that courageous people need to hear and they also need to give. And one of those is that life is hard, man up. All right? Life is hard. Man up. All right, now notice what he said here in this, in this verse here. He, David shares with Solomon words that are priceless that he will hang his hat on. He says, I am about to go away of, of all the earth. Okay, David says, I'm, I'm in my last breath. Be strong and show yourself a man. Men, would you have your Bibles, if you would underscore that phrase right there, would you just kind of brand that in your mind? When you think about what am I going to pass down to my next generation? What am I going to give to the next generation? I want the next generation to know that this t- world is going to be tough. You're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to put on your big boy pants. You're going to have to show yourself as man. As a man. And so again, I'm talking David, male David to male Solomon's son, okay? okay, We're talking male to male, but it's not just male. Women, talk to your daughters and ask them, to command them, challenge them to be a woman of honor. To be a Proverbs 31 woman. Now again, I'm going to have to keep coming back to this whole scenario, but it's not a sexist message. This is a challenge from one generation to be passed down to the next generation to make sure that this generation doesn't lose it in the handoff to the next generation. And the way we're going to do that is that we're going to have to help the next generation realize the world on the other side is not going to be easy. You're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to pull yourself up. You're going to have to show yourself a man. Now, this is not just something that's, that, that David had. This is something that Solomon, I mean, Joshua himself needed to hear. He didn't hear it from Moses. He heard it from God himself. But you go to, in your own time to Joshua chapter 1, and you'll find in four times in one chapter, God tells Joshua, again, following the steps of a, of a giant of a man, Moses, he tells him four different times, Joshua, be strong. And courageous, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. I tell you what we got to do men, what we've got to do mothers and fathers, what we've got to do grandmothers and grandfathers, is we've got to realize we have a job to do. And that job is to get the next generation ready for their generation. To get the next generation ready to lead. And the very first words out of David's mouth to his son is, Son, show yourself a man. Become a man. Become a man. I have to think about that for a moment. Because it sounds like a very generic statement. And it is. But what is a man? What does a man look like? What does a man smell like? That shouldn't be said. What does a man think like, what is a man, look like, what is a man, feel like, what is a man. What is a man? If you grew up and you didn't have a model in front of you of a God-fearing, God-seeking, humble yet strong father, you may not have the best example. In fact, you may not even have an example. You may have to look beyond your immediate family to figure out what a man is. But I want to challenge every one of us, as we have that opportunity to pass on our heritage, to pass on the legacy, that we ourselves are men that can be reproduced, that we ourselves as men can be something that be, be modeled. Ladies, that you will be a woman of honor and integrity, of, of a gentle and quiet spirit as Lori shared a few weeks ago. What does that mean? What does that look like? So that the next generation can see it, because guess what? Life's hard. If life's hard, you don't have to be strong, but life's hard. That's why David said you got to be strong. That's why God told Joshua you got to be strong. Because life's hard. It's not going to come in some easy-handed-to-you kind of fashion. Sometimes you're going to get jumbled up pieces, and you're going to have to figure it out. Helen Keller said, Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature. Jim Whitaker, REI's first employee, was the first American to climb Mount Everest. He said, you never conquer the mountain. You conquer yourself. Your doubts and your fears. You know what? Whenever you send men and women and we've launched one and we're about to launch another into this world, we better make sure that we prepared them to be strong. And you know, the problem is is that sometimes men, again, I'm picking on the men a lot here, because of the scenario here, because of the story in the movie Courageous. But it could be across gender. It's not specific at all. But the problem is, is that we get so consumed in our own world, so consumed with our own goals and ambitions, that sometimes we forget that the highest calling we have is to make sure the next generation gets it. Gets it. They fully get it. And sometimes, and in this movie as you're about to see a scene, sometimes it takes us falling deeply and being hurt deeply before finally we wake up and we realize that we have ourselves not been a man, that we have ourselves not been a woman, that we have ourselves have been weak and hiding, and running, and fearful. That we ourselves haven't been exactly what we've been doing. We've been chasing after the wrong things. So I want to show you the scene of a movie. In the movie Courageous. That about an hour into the movie, after this tragic event, and if you haven't seen the movie, I won't tell you about it, but this tragic, unexpected event happens. How one father had changed his life. And sent him to this book, and he began to study what it meant to be a man. Watch this scene.
1: All right. For everybody's stuff, I'll tell you why I had you come over here today. It isn't because you just can't get enough of us. <laughs> sorry, no. I'm gonna ask you a favor, Bobby? Resolution. Yeah. For a while now, I've been struggling. What kind of dad I was to Emily? What kind of father I'm being to Dylan? Adam. You're being too hard on yourself. I mean, you've been a good enough father. That's just it. I don't want to be a good enough father. We have a few short years to influence our kids. Whatever patterns we set for them will likely be used for their kids and the generation after that. We have the responsibility to mold a life. And I don't think that should be done casually. Half the fathers in this country are already failing, and I don't want to be one of them. Okay. Look, I'm all for spending more time with our kids, but don't you think you're taking this a little too far? Shane, it goes way beyond just spending time with your kids. That should be a given. I- I'm talking about setting the standards that they need to aim for in life. What kind of standards? Well, when did you first think of yourself as a man? What? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, when did you first think, I'm a man now? (laughs) Come on. You can't be serious. We are not talking about this. No, just humor me for a second. Think about it. Maybe when I moved out. Or when I turned 21. I I don't know. So when you're legal? Yeah. What about you, Shane? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, when I got my license or my first job, I mean, what does it matter? Bobby? When my father told me I was,
0: when I was 17, he had to leave for three months to do a job. He told me that he thought of me as a man. He wanted me to take care of the family.
1: I'm learning that God wants me to call out the man and my son. I can't do that lightly. I can't be passive about that. I got these things from studying Scripture. I want to sign this as a resolution of what kind of father I want to be to Dylan. And I'm giving you guys permission to keep me accountable.
0: Can I sign this too?
1: Fine. Adam, if you're going to do this, maybe we should all just sign No, 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 no. I'm not asking you guys to sign anything. I need this. Dylan needs this. If you guys think you want to sign it, at least take a few days to think about it. I'm not doing this lightly.
0: I love the statement when Javier says, "I knew I was a man when my dad told me I was a man." Um, you know, whenever this conversation happened between Solomon and David, wherever it happened, whatever scene, it had to be something in the mind and the heart of Solomon, of a light switch coming on. I'm a man now. And I got certain roles and responsibilities. I've certain parts to play in this. this important. And I need to man up. And the very first thing my dad's telling me to do is to be strong. Dads to daughters, moms to sons, sons to dad. whatever the combination of your home life may look like. Parents, older folks, grandparents, we need to make sure the next generation is ready. And the way we're going to do that is helping them to man up, step up, be strong. Because life, hard. Number two, second thing I don't think we need to miss is life's confusing. We need to stay on course. All right? And I think life is getting more confusing. You would think we'd be evolving to some kind of greater order, but I think we're sometimes disheveling and unraveling in our, in our, in our, in our organized world that we live. But sociologist Robert Bayless said, uh, interviewed a woman and captured the spirit of the day that I think we live in. The lady said it like this in an interview. I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. Her name was Sheila, by the way. Just my own little voice. And I think there's a whole lot of own little voices out there. A whole lot of gut instincts out there. And I just want to say that when we send our children into this world... Do we want them going with their guts? Do we want them going with their little voices in their heads? Or do we want them with a solid map, a solid course, a solid path to take? I was recently a patron in a a Northwest Arkansas business. I'll just save the business and the category and everything like that for another day. But, But I was in this business and I was sitting here between two other conversations. This was a threesome: a husband and a wife and another lady. And this was two ladies talking, and they were talking. I wasn't listening in, leaning this way. And listen. it was it was a close quarters, really tight, really easy to hear. They were proud of their conversations, and so I could just like change the channels. I want to listen to this one for a moment. I want to listen to this one for a moment. So anyway, I just listened in on the conversations. I was alone, and so don't ever sit close to me because I got good ears. All right. So anyway, so I'm sitting here and the the threesome over here, and they're talking, and this one lady says, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't practice my faith. And and you know, that may give her a little bit of a comfort, and she may be staking her all eternity on that. Oh, I'm a Christian. Went through some kind of religious function back earlier, but I'm not practicing it. Because the Bible that I read, The authority that I base my entire faith on says that faith without works is dead. That if my life isn't being changed by my faith, then I don't really have a faith. I have a religion at that point. This other conversation was an interesting conversation because it was far beyond any kind of Christian recognized belief. It was more into spirits and angels these two ladies were talking about, this one lady was very confident that she got her divine intervention by angels and by spirits. And I believe in angels and I believe in spirits. And she also believes she connected to God through the spirits of her world. Now, listen, I believe in the spirits of this world. I don't believe that there are spirits of the world that that we should follow and pray to and seek after. I believe in angels. I don't think we should seek after angels or, or pray to angels. Because the Scripture makes it very clear in 1 Timothy... But there is one mediator between God and man. One mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. I didn't make it up. The Bible makes that clear. The problem is, is that we have so much ambiguity in the world in which we live that people are just kind of all over the page. There's two courses that a courageous person will take, a compass, if you will. One is to have a clear course, all right? Know where you're going, have a clear course. Notice what he said here in in 1 Kings. He said, be strong and show yourself a man. Keep the charge that the Lord your God walking in His ways. Keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules. And think about that. Do you know where you're going? Are you following spirits and angels and gut instincts and... Feelings and moods and Oprah or anybody else out there? Or is it something you have a clear course? Notice he said, walk in his ways, his statutes, his commands. There is a path out there. And the thing is, is if we don't live that path in our homes, our kids won't know. We can talk it and we can teach it. We can diagram it and we can map it and we can chart it. And we can have them memorize all the scriptures. But if we aren't living it, if we aren't modeling it, they're missing it. If we're not modeling it, they're missing it. Number two, have a clear course. Number two, ha- walk the distance. Go the miles. Do the time. Do it. Live it out in your life. He goes on and he keeps talking uh, to, to, to Solomon. He's The rules, the testimonies, is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that, that you, you do and you, wherever you turn that the Lord may establish His, His uh, word that, that He spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me, listen to this, in faithfulness with all their heart. See, God doesn't just want you following a bunch of rules. The, if you're a Muslim, you'll follow the five pillars. If, if you're a Jew, you're going to obey the law. If, if you're a Buddhist, you're going to follow the, five, uh, the eightfold pathway. There's all these rules. And we sometimes think, even as a Christian, we have our rules. You vote Republican and you live a good moral life. Or whatever it is, the rules that, that make up what it means to, to be a Christian. But is it more than that? It's absolutely more than that. The Course gives us the map, gives us a plan, the statutes, the commandments. But then we must walk it. But it does not walk it. We must do it with, what did he say there? Faithfulness. Faithfulness with all your heart. And I just want you to circle the word heart there. Because there's not, I can't say enough about the word heart, because the heart is exactly where God wants us to pay close attention to. It's the most commonly referred to topic, subject in all of the Bible. More so than works and service and money and obedience. Even more than worship. It was the the very, the heart is what the Proverbs tells us to guard more than anything else. It's the heart that kept the disciples from learning from the five loaves and the two fish. It kept them learning because their hearts were hard. It was the heart that Ezekiel was promised that God would give them a new heart. He would remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. It's the heart that we need to be very, very mindful of. It was Jesus who said, you love me with all of your heart. That's the first and the greatest commandment. It was Jesus who said that, you know, you've got to guard your, excuse me, uh, that, that many times money becomes uh, uh, what attaches to our hearts and our hearts attach to our money. You just go on and on and on, and I can't even talk about the heart enough to say this, but is your heart in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Can your children see it? Because this world's going to have a whole lot of paths to choose from. and life is quite confusing. but I certainly hope that my kids have a clear, distinct pathway and they won't miss it. I want you to watch one more scene of the movie and just hear these men as they talk about their absolute commitment in a very clear, wholehearted kind of way of what they want to do in their resolution to follow God and to raise their family.
1: Since her passing, I've asked God to show me through His Word how to be the father that I need to be. I now believe that God desires for every father to courageously step up and do whatever it takes to be involved in the lives of His children. But more than just being there, providing for them, He's to walk with them through their young lives and be a visual representation of the character of God their father in heaven. The father should love his children and seek to win their hearts. He should protect them, discipline them, and teach them about God. He should model how to walk with integrity and treat others with respect. He should call out his children to become responsible men and women who live their lives for what matters in eternity. Some men will hear this and mock it or ignore it. But I tell you that as a father, you are accountable to God for the position of influence he has given you. You can't fall asleep at the wheel only to wake up one day and realize that your job or your hobbies have no eternal value, but the souls of your children do. Some men will hear this and agree with it, but have no resolve to live it out. Instead, they will live for themselves and waste the opportunity to leave a godly legacy for the next generation. But there are some men who regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of what our fathers did not do for us, will give the strength of our arms and the rest of our days to loving God with all that we are and to teach our children to do the same. And whenever possible, to love and mentor others who have no father in their lives, but who desperately need help and direction. And we are inviting any man whose heart is willing and courageous to join us in this resolution. In my home, the decision has already been made. You don't have to ask who will guide my family because by God's grace, I will. You don't have to ask who will teach my son to follow Christ. Because I will, who will accept the responsibility of providing and protecting my family, I will. Who will ask God to break the chain of destructive patterns in my family's history, I will. Who will pray for and bless my children to boldly pursue whatever God calls them to do. I am their father. I will. I accept this responsibility and it is my privilege to embrace it. I want the favor of God and his blessing on my home. Any good man does. So where are you, men of courage? Or are you fathers who fear the Lord? It's time to rise up and answer the call that God has given to you and to say, I will, I will, I will.
0: Since it's the end of the movie, an amazing ending to the movie. But I just want to challenge us, guys, moms, grandparents in this room. I want us to challenge, and I wish I had the music playing in the background and all that kind of stuff that could end like that. But I want to challenge us to realize that life is absolutely hard and that we as men and women have got to show ourselves as men and as women we we're living in a confusing and chaotic world we're going to have to show our children a clear path one last thing one last thing is life is short prepare for the future whenever we as parents are raising up another generation we are truly raising we spend the time in preschool we spend the time in Elementary school. We spend all this time raising them up, getting them ready to launch out into the world. Maybe twenty years, maybe twenty five, until they launch. I don't know, but they launch out into this world. Are they going to be ready for what's out there? And I think about this statement. I think about what what, what was stated. The last part of verse four, he says, "And, and the servant with all heart, and you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." And in verse ten, it says that David slept with his father with his fathers. It means he died. He was buried in the city of David. And just a few verses later in verse 2, Solomon sat on the throne of David his father. And the kingdom was firmly established. And I just wonder, as we're thinking and we're moving out from here today, I hope and pray to God that we will move out in this world. We'll raise up a generation of strong, solid children who are sold out for God I like the Indian proverb that said it like this: When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way, so that when you die, the world cries, and you rejoice. That's living a life with legacy. Lori and I, and the family, spent the past two weeks in Zambia with with brothers and sisters that we spent our life, uh, four years of our life, investing in, and just had an amazing trip. I tell people it was not a restful trip, it was a refreshing trip. Uh, it's one of those trips you come back from and you need vacation after your vacation. Uh, but anyway that's life in Africa. But well, one of the persons that I spent time with was, we spent the entire time with, was one of our pastors that we actually at Grace Point Church helped to send to seminary, Pastor Gibson Muno. And as we were with Gibson, he was sharing a story one night of, of being with uh, a nationals and then praying over a woman who had been dabbling in witchcraft, and to the point that she had had demons inside of her and oppressing her and possessing her. Now, again, in our culture, we don't deal with it so much with that as we know it. It's out there. It's absolutely out there. Maybe it's not a possession, but maybe it's oppression. But anyway, Gibson goes on and he tells the story of this lady. Coming and seeking help and getting prayers and praying for her. and The thing is, is that she wanted to be free, but she didn't want to fully change her life. She wasn't ready to man up. She wasn't ready to take a clear course. She wasn't ready to think to the future completely. She just wanted freedom from the oppression and the possession of these demons. And Gibson goes on to say it took hours of prayer of being with this lady He says, and even the demon began to manifest itself and and speak out. And and this is what the demon said. And I had to ask Gibson, what was he meaning when he said this? He said, I will leave her now, but I will meet her at home. I will leave her now, but I will meet her at home. I said, Gibson, what does that mean? It means this, is that she wanted freedom in her Christian community, in her Christian church. She wanted freedom in her life. But the demons knew that her home was not right. That her home was not a godly place. And so he would meet her. They would come back to her at the house. And I wonder in your life, you could be in here today hear this movie, watch this movie, sit in here and say, yes, I want to be that man, I want to be that woman, I want to be that person, I want to be, and I want freedom from this oppression. When you go home, who will be there to meet you? Will you be free or will you be captive at home? I want a home where my children grow up and they move out strong, solid, secure in their faith. Let's pray together. As we pray together today. The response is going to be totally up to you. Totally in your court. I'm thankful that we have a church, that we got men and we got women's ministries, and we've got full on opportunities for you to come and grow in, in your faith and develop a maturity of heart and life. And your children have classes and opportunities to, to grow up in the faith. But I have a question same question I would ask Gibson if he was here today. So Satan leaves you, so the oppression leaves you while you're here, will he be waiting for you at home? Or when you get home, will you make sure your home is fully in line with the truth of God? And your heart is fully in line Lord Jesus, protect our homes. Protect the men and women in this room today. The grandparents and the parents alike. Lord, be with the future generation. Those who aren't married yet. Those who are looking for a family. Those who want, but those who are investing in other people in this world. Lord, help them, I pray, to see that they have a role to play have a part to play in speaking into the lives of others, whether they're students, whether they're nieces and nephews, whether they're their own children. Lord, help us to be a church that raises up people who will be strong, who will take your path and who will prepare for the future, because our end is coming. Lord, we thank you for these who make this commitment today.